Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, Ego, Politics, and the 2016 Elections. A penetrating commentary from our host, Beth Green. We hope, we hope. <laughs> Guest host, Helen Helix, will be interviewing our own Beth Green on the latest shenanigans of the 2016 elections, focusing on the conventions and any other mayhem that will have just occurred. What do the 2016 elections say about the state of consciousness in our nation? What does the ego have to do with it? Stay tuned for a primer on what the ego is and isn't, and how the ego is impacting the presidential race, the electorate, and the candidates. Expect Beth's wit and wisdom and the debunking of the pomp and self-congratulatory rhetoric. But also expect a perspective that sees past the obvious and helps us gain strength and hope in the midst of some disturbing realities and damaging nonsense. Please join us live if you can. Well, hopefully you're live now, but if you can't, well, catch it on the iPad. So you can call in your questions and comments. We are all in this together. And now, here's Beth. Hi. Welcome. Well, I have so much to say about the elections. And I have... I don't know. I'm overwhelmed and stunned. So what can I say? I can't wait to get to the topic. But before we get to the topic, and let's introduce Helen Hillix, who's going to be interviewing me. Helen? Hello there. Glad to be back. <laughs> we love having Helen here. Well, before we get into that, we do the news of the inner revolution, which is the inner revolution is about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And we're always looking for signs of it. <laughs> And we're also always trying to give ourselves news and information that we need to have in order to be informed inter-revolutionaries. So take it away, James. In another week whose news is dominated by the elections, let's take a moment to look at a few other stories. First, a story from 10 days ago. It was submitted by Elizabeth, one of our listeners, and it was reported by True Activist. The story tells us of a shocking turn of events that took place earlier that week in Thailand. Ordered to harass and block protesters, policemen instead yielded to a peaceful riot by laying down their barricades and helmets as a sign of solidarity. It was apparently a protest against an extremely corrupt government. We haven't further verified the story, but if true, it reminds us that police people are people too, and that they suffer from the same or similar conditions that the rest of us suffer from. How clear this has become also in our own land when police officers, protesters, and others are being subjected to the violence engulfing our society. Not to speak of the fact that police officers come in every religion and color as well. Many of our police officers are black, although the police forces tend to be proportionately white, disproportionately white. Similarly, it appears that while most police killings are of whites, again the number of black victims is disproportionately black. We're not suggesting that racism isn't real, far from it. But we are suggesting that police and community, black, white, Hispanic, Muslim, gay, straight, we all need to find common ground because we're all impacted by the stress and violence in our society. What's stopping us? Here's a story dated July the 19th from The Conversation, sent to us by Christine, who is a listener and sometimes co-host on the show. In the article, Frank Rudy Cooper professor of law at Suffolk, Suffolk University, has raised a critical issue. He says, the recent controversy over policing has often been traced to racial bias, but it may stem in equal part from gender. 
I have spent a decade researching ways that race and gender intersect in policing and found that hidden police officer machismo is exacerbating the more commonly noticed problem of racial profiling. That's machismo. Machismo. Ah, machismo. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. My uh, macho. Uh, <laughs> to be clear. Frank is not denying racial bias. On the contrary, but he is also raising, if one is a man or just wants to perform masculinely, one will be drawn toward the behaviors that are popularly understood to be manly. 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 An important tendency of masculine behavior in the United States is to confront disrespect with violence. Yeah. In policing, this has meant punishing the non-crime of contempt of cop. Offending. And if, uh, if your children diss you or if your wife disses you, God forbid. Really? Yes, they must be punished. And then there are trumped-up charges of lawbreaking or physical violence. The recent killing of Philando Castile serves as one example of the way racial bias and police officer machismo work together. Racial profiling was evident in the fact that police officers had stopped Castile at the borders between black and white neighborhoods in and around St. Paul, Minnesota. Castile was stopped at least 52 times over the course of a few years. Yet at least half of his citations were dismissed. That is an extraordinary number of stops and an even more surprising number of dismissals. Implicit in these excessive race-based stops is a macho stance that is especially prevalent amongst those who go into policing. First, perhaps because police forces often give preference to former members of the military, police officers are prone to bullying the suspects. It should be no surprise that the more masculine men thrown into police forces patterned on the military are more prone to aggressive behavior. We at the interrevolution.org have really been taking a look at why men get stuck in so-called manly behaviors that are destructive and self-destructive. And we've been reaching out to other men who talk about how we have suffered from male socialization. If you'd like to learn more, please contact us. Check out our website, www.theinnerrevolution.org, and contact us. And speaking of men, it has been reported in the Huffington Post in a July 19th article, also submitted by Christine, in some countries, men oppose female genital mutilation at a higher rate than women, even though it is considered an act of violence against women. Isn't that something? Yeah. In Guinea, the country with the second highest prevalence of female genital mutilation, known as FGM, in the world, 38% of men are against the practice, compared to just 21% of women, according to new data from UNICEF. The same is true in Sierra Leone. There, 40% of boys and men want the practice to end, compared with 23% of girls and women. In 11 out of 18 countries with available data, UNICEF found that men are either in agreement with women or are more opposed to the practice. Yay, men! <laughs> Last week, we interviewed Tim Grant, who has been running a prison enterprise, which is part of a thrust to create a prison labor system that pays decent wages to inmates. Well, this week, our listener Elizabeth sent us a story that may shock you, and it concerns many of us directly because we are unwitting consumers of these items. On June 20th, Return to Now reported how prison labor is the new American slavery, and most of us unwittingly support it. We have not independently verified all of this, but it sounds pretty bad to us. If any of our listeners feel moved to pursue this, please send us the information. There is a contact link on our host page. 
Anyway, back to the article. It tells us that American slavery was technically abolished in 1865, but a loophole in the 13th Amendment has allowed it to continue, quote, as a punishment for crimes, unquote, well into the 21st century. And the prison population is disproportionately people of color, the vast majority, 86%, of whom have been locked up for nonviolent, victimless crimes, many of them drug-related. Now, we don't know if they mean federal penitentiaries or it also includes state, but that's all the information that we read. So, yeah. go, ahead, go on. Yeah. And now, this is what might shock you. Prison labor helps produce goods and services for almost every big business in America. And here are a few examples that highlight the epidemic. Whole Foods. Whole Foods coffee, chocolate, and bananas might be fair trade, but the corporation has been offsetting the so-called high wages paid to third world producers with not so fair wages here in America. The corporation, famous for its animal welfare rating system, apparently was not as concerned about the welfare of the human animals working for them in Colorado prisons until April of this year. Did you know that a 12-pound, $12-a-pound tilapia you thought you were buying from Sustainable American Family Farms, this is what it says, by Whole Foods, it was raised by prisoners in Colorado who were paid as little as 74 cents a day. And that fancy goat cheese, the goats were raised and milked by prisoners too. Ouch. McDonald's, the world's most successful fast food franchise, purchases a plethora of goods manufactured in prisons, including plastic cutlery, containers, and uniforms. The inmates who sew McDonald's uniforms make even less money by the hour than the people who wear them. Walmart. Although their company policy clearly states that, quote, forced or prison labor will not be tolerated by Walmart, unquote, basically every item in their store has been supplied by third-party prison labor factories. Walmart purchases its produce from prison farms, where laborers are often subjected to long hours in the blazing heat without adequate food or water. Victoria's Secret. Female inmates in South Carolina sew undergarments and casual wear for this pricey lingerie company. In the late 1990s, two prisoners were placed in solitary confinement for telling journalists that they were hired to replace Made in Honduras garment tags with Made in USA tags. Oh. The tag maybe was made in the USA. So yeah, maybe yeah. it was unfair. And when I see a tag like that, I think, oh, good, manufacturing in the U.S. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh-uh. AT&T. In 1993, the massive phone company laid off thousands of telephone operators, all union members, in order to increase their profits. Even though AT&T's company policy regarding prison labor reads eerily like Walmart's, they have consistently used inmates to work in their call centers since 1993, barely paying them $2 a day. BP, British Petroleum. When BP spilled 4.2 million barrels of oil into the Gulf Coast, the company sent a workforce of almost exclusively African-American inmates to clean up the toxic spill, while community members, many of whom were out-of-work fishermen, struggled to make ends meet. BP's decision to use prisoners instead of hiring displaced workers outraged the Gulf community, but the oil company did nothing to reconcile the situation. The full list of companies implicated in exploiting prison labor includes these household names as well. Bank of America, Bayer, 
Cargill, Caterpillar, Chevron, Chrysler, Costco, John Deere, ExxonMobil, Johnson & Johnson, Kmart, Coke Industries, Merck, Microsoft, Motorola, Nintendo, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, Shell, Starbucks, UPS, Verizon, and Wendy's. While not all prisoners are forced to work, most opt to because life would be even more miserable if they didn't, as they have to purchase pretty much everything above the barest necessities, and sometimes these too, with their hard-earned pennies. Some of them have legal fines to pay off and families to support on the outside. Often they come out more indebted than when they went in. In places like Texas, prison work is mandatory and unpaid, which is the definition of slavery. Tune in to our show from last week for a different approach. Beth? Yeah, that was the show about uh, with Tim Grant about uh, a prison enterprise, how they're trying to make a win-win situation with inmates. Well, I think this is really important because I think we all think that, oh, prison labor, either they're lounging around eating bonbons or uh, they're making license plates. I don't think people know this. I didn't know. I mean, I had a vague idea, but I didn't know this. So if it's true, it's pretty awful. What do you think, Helen? I agree completely. It's it's appalling. Frightening. Isn't, isn't it's it shocking? Sho- it's shocking. It's shocking. It's like we don't know this. Well, let me just give you a few more news, quick news updates before we go on to the topic, because we don't want to keep our guest waiting. That would be me. So, uh, or so Elizabeth, who sent us that article about prison labor and slavery, um, she sent us another article that said a Senate bill would end tax breaks for private prison companies. Oh, my God, they really need them. Uh, okay, here's an article that says, I'm just going to give you headlines of stuff that I think you might find interesting. Smithsonian tells us that instead of painkillers, some doctors are prescribing virtual reality. Isn't that really cool? See, you know, we have the good, the bad, the good, the bad. We have technology that is giving us another way of dealing with pain, like through virtual reality that is non-medication. And maybe it's addictive. I'm not sure. Then we had um, something, uh, the five-star Anne sent us an article from The Guardian, five-star mayor of Turin in Italy to create Italy's first vegetarian city. The new administration is pledging to promote vegetarianism as a priority. Also, Anne sent us an article that came from KPBS that San Diego OK's plastic bag ban, which is amazing because that will reduce waste in uh, landfills. Uh, Swaziland has a new secret weapon against child abuse, according to NPR. It's grandmothers, where these uh, grandmothers are going around and they're you know, trying to help kids to and let them know when they're being abused. And that's pretty cool. Uh, on the Muslim front, we have Muslims at the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, taking a, a stand against Islamophobia, which is really cool, which they're really uh, encouraging Muslims to vote. Also speaking about the convention, the Pittsburgh police chief, Cameron McClay, spoke at the convention. I forget which day it was, but he was really talking uh, our language about uh, connecting the community and the police, and it was very touching and very impressive. Um, 
The state attorney general shut down the GOP extremist attempt to block big oil fraud probe, according to the Huffington Post. In other words, they're trying to um, get the information out about how big oil defrauded us and told us there was no climate change. Ha ha. And uh, there was... um, there was the G- some GOP extremists, including I think it was the the head of the whole science committee, you know, was trying to shut it down, but uh, somehow we got to that moving. Uh, another amazing um, piece of information is the National Hockey League commissioner. Are you ready for this? This is according to the Washington Post. He refuses to believe that there's a link between concussions and CTE. See, I guess concussions. And CTE only happened in the NFL. They don't right. And the, then there, <coughs> there is something very cool. And I want to interview these guys. There's a group called the Patriotic Millionaires. It's a group of 200 high net worth Americans who are committed to building a more prosperous, stable, and inclusive nation. <coughs> The group focuses on promoting public policy solutions that encourage political equality, guarantee a sustaining wage for working Americans, and ensure that millionaires, billionaires, and corporations pay a greater percentage of taxes. Now, is that an interrevolutionary story? Boy, this is a great follow-up to some of the interviews that we've been doing lately with Josh Hakshi from inequality.org. And one more story, just to get us all revved up for our election conversation, It doesn't look like it has anything to do with the election, but it does. U.S. and Mexico's mass deportations have fueled a humanitarian crisis. The tide of vulnerable people fleeing violence in Central America being preyed upon by criminals and corrupt officials in part due to inadequate asylum procedures. So while so many awful things are going on, we are having these two... Um, TV shows and extravaganzas, uh, first the Republicans and the Democrats, and I am going to tell you my bias immediately. I way prefer the Democratic Convention, and I'm going to talk about why in a little while. But there's a lot of stuff that we are still sweeping under the rug. And so our news today pointed out some of them. So you are the prosecutor, the interlocutor, or whatever it is. That isn't the right word. Helen, you're up. You're the host. <laughs> Thank you, Beth, and welcome to the show today. We're <laughs> thrilled to have you on and to interview you with your stellar wit and intellect to help us understand the insanity of the <laughs> election. It's, it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, the, the stark contrast, and I have to disclose my preference also. I am a liberal Democrat, um, and I, I'm just appalled at what I heard of the Republican convention. Um, but I want to be open to also looking at whatever is going on in the Democratic convention. And I know you're just the person to help us do that. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Well, thank you for that wonderful welcome to the show. I've heard of Interrevolutionary Radio. It's a great program. Yes, it's a great (laughs) program. And I hope that all the people listening today will pass it on to all their friends. I hope so, too. Okay. Take it away, Helen. Well, first of all, I would like to get your input 
uh, your perspective about the contrast between the two conventions and the tone that you are picking up on them and what you have to say about that. Well, I would love to do that, but didn't I promise that I was going to talk about the ego first? Well, then tell us about the ego first. <laughs> well, I want to... And I'm the, sure the two will relate. They will. They will. And I want to put this all in context. Now, I don't want to sound like a textbook because I don't want people turning us off. But by the way, didn't you find the news fascinating? Very. I do too. There may be people out there who never listen to the rest of the show because they say, ah, I don't want to hear this. But I think it's so important for us to keep informed uh, of the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, the ridiculous stuff. So you anyway, know, but, yes. You know what, what I love about the, the news is it keeps reminding me that we are all so brainwashed by the national <laughs> media, by the populist media, and that most of those stories are, are coming at us from places that a lot of the public doesn't even read or hear about. And the, the, the story about the oil companies and how they completely made up all this propaganda about how yeah. safe it was. And people, including myself, just believed it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's. Uh, I'm so glad that you're saying that. I'm. I'm hoping that people really listen to the news of the inner revolution because sometimes there are great stories that give us hope and there there are some stories that just make us seethe and we need to hear both of them because we need to we need hope and a little bit of anger for us to be motivated to take action and speaking of action we better do something this year <laughs> i mean don't think you can sit out the election and say, I don't like Hillary because of whatever. You know, I don't like Hillary because of whatever. But uh, I'll tell you, there's a lot more that I like about Hillary. And I'm just uh, completely appalled by Donald Trump. And I said I was going to talk about the ego, and I will in a moment. But let, let me go back to your question, and then I'll just stick it in about the ego. <laughs> See, I, I, st- I said in order to be fair, I needed to watch the Republican National Convention. I never watch all this stuff, right? But I thought, I have to be prepared for this show. I need to watch. So I turn on, I have to admit... I only turned on Donald Trump's acceptance speech because I really wanted to be fair. But I couldn't listen. After about 10 or 15 minutes, I felt like I had been assaulted by Adolf Hitler. And I'm not saying this in a hyperbolous way because everybody knows that I love hyperbole. Uh, But I'm serious. You know, it was like, law and order. I mean, we are in danger here. We're in, And he would just... Take a true fact and he would distort it or a, a half fact or he would take it out of context or whatever. Or he would take a, a fact that's really important but spin it in such a way so that all everything ended up with, and I will fix that. Believe me. Believe me. When he said that, you know, about crime in the U.S. and that when he is elected, crime will stop. Stop. Crime and violence will stop. Crime and violence will stop. Oh, I guess men will stop beating their wives because Donald Trump has got, gotten into the White House. And, 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 and the gang war for it will come to a close. How could that happen? Well, one way would be if we had a complete police state, but who's going to police them? You think that the people who are policing don't beat their wives? 
I mean, or is it only the kind of crime that Donald Trump doesn't like that we have to eliminate? It's okay to have violence against black people and protesters, and, you know. Well, I, I was so, that was the point I think I shut it off because I felt the drum roll of fascism. And, you know, this is not a new thought. Everybody has been talking about it. But honest to God, his acceptance speech, because they said, Donald didn't go off in his rambling nonsense. He really stayed on point. But that is what scared me. If this was the point, that's worse than the nonsense that he talks when he throws out stuff that, you know, about Russia hacking our emails, you know, which sounded like treason to me. Uh, And by the way, Russia said today, Putin said that, deal with your own damned emails. I I don't want to get into this. This is pretty funny. But, um, I mean, this man will stop at nothing to get elected. That is the truth. And see, that is the ego. The ego really doesn't care what it does to others. It only cares about one thing, and that is winning. And Donald Trump is the personification of I will do anything to win, whether it's making money or making money. Or making money. Or making money. Or making money. Or just looking big. I mean, anybody who can prance around saying, I will fix this and I know how to deal with Putin. For example, why don't we allow Putin to annex the Crimea even though it's been considered illegal everywhere. This is in the Ukraine. But, hey, that wouldn't stop Donald because Donald loves Putin and Putin admires Donald and they have the, you know, the gang of two of the strong men. And I couldn't watch it. I could not watch it. So you have, you have in me a very um, prejudiced person because it's the ego personified, and I am prejudiced against the ego. Now, do I like a lot of the other stands of the Republican Party, such as let's roll back all the advances that the LGBT community has had. Let's encourage conversion therapy, which tortures young gay people and tries to force them to become straight, Um, and so on. Let's just turn it all around. Do I, how do I feel about that? How do I feel about, uh, you know, abortion being illegal, uh, I mean, on, under any circumstances? But all of the things that I disagree with on a policy level, because I think that they are also egoic and are outside of the oneness, and I'm going to bring this all back to ego and the oneness in a minute, but seeing him transcends my upset with the policies that the Republican Party has either verbally, consciously, or not verbally articulated, such as the denial of climate change, such as the uh, rolling back of all regulations, environmental regulations, rolling back uh, regulations on Wall Street. Those things are, are, are incredible, but nothing really... Uh, matches the ego of Donald himself. And that's why we, I think we all have to take it down because we cannot let the ego run the planet. Now, how do I feel about the ego in the Democratic Party? 
I don't like it either, and I'm going to talk about that. So what the heck is that ego? I mean, one thing you can do is if you want to know what ego is, you can look at Donald Trump. Can I say something here about oh, yeah. the ego of the audience? The, oh. thing, the thing that is so frightening to me is how Trump's ego is so masterful at triggering the fear in the audience, which is also ego because it's all self-protective Yes. Self-focused reactivity and how he plays on that and exaggerates it and nurtures it and inflames it. Yes. Yes. All for himself. And I don't even think it has anything to do with what he believes. I really don't. I think it's his way of getting elected, of trying to prove to the whole world that he is the strong man. Now, Let's talk a little bit more. So we we know what the ego looks like because we've been watching it, right? And then we'll get to the democratic side. But what I what I teach and what we believe in the innerrevolution.org is that the ego is born with the human being. In fact, born with our conception. Because it's our awareness of self. It's like we recognize that we are separate and apart. When you're in the mother's womb, you are part of the oneness of being in her body. But when you're born, particularly, but even before that, we, we begin to recognize that we are separate from our mothers. When we are fighting to get out of our mother's womb, it's like, I want to go out. I'm getting out of here. When we're kicking our mothers, we really don't care what we're doing to our mother's bodies. You know, we will expand. We will do anything that we need to for ourselves. And it's the awareness of individual existence, which is the ego in our way of thinking. Now, how does that ego develop over time? See, it's very infantile by nature right? Because it's born with us when we're infants and we have no socialization. So the first thing that the infant does is it cries, it pisses, it poops, it's, uh, it's cold, it, it needs, it, it's just demanding, 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 demanding. Now, of course it's demanding. It's helpless. It's got to demand because it can't do anything for itself. So we can see that Helplessness or the experience of helplessness does trigger us to behave in a way that is totally ego-based. So if the baby, infant, is cold or wet or hungry, it has no consciousness or awareness of what the needs of the mother are, that infant will ask for what it needs by crying. Doesn't care if the mother is exhausted, doesn't care if the mother's Uh, nipples are bleeding, it's that's the way it is because it has only the consciousness of itself, of its individual existence. And over time, each one of us develops a way of getting our needs, needs met based on our socialization, our experience in the family. So, and some what also our genetic nature. So, Some of us become very demanding. Some of us become very giving. Some of us look nice. Some of us look tough. We get whatever it is that we have to do in order to get our needs met. I hate to think of Donald Trump's 
Trump's, I'm sorry, Donald Trump's childhood. I mean, what in God's name would make a man so insensitive, unempathetic, and feel so needy of looking big, looking strong, looking like he is the answer to everything, which is our new fallen foreign policy under President Trump is I'll take care of it, right? So here you have the ego, which is growing up in the family, and it's learning how to get its needs met. And it has to fit into a whole group. I mean, you have to learn how to play your mother, play your dad. If, if you have a mother and dad, play your grandma, play your siblings. You know, what am I going to do to get my needs met in this mess? How am I going to feed me? And that is the consciousness of the ego. So what we see is throughout our world, people are first and foremost ego-based. We have this need to protect ourselves, as Helen was saying. And we will do just about anything to do that. Now, some people look very generous. It's like, well, what about so, so, so? She's so nice. If she, you know, if you're in trouble, she'll bring soup. Well, she may be a person who has cultivated the other side of her, which also exists, the side of connection. But it may also be that she learned as a child that the way to get her needs met was to serve others and make them beholden to her or feel guilty or whatever. So it's not so easy, guys. Just because somebody looks like they're not in their ego doesn't mean that they're not because there could be all kinds of squiggles about how that ego gets to play itself out. Well, there is another part of us, that part of us that connects, that part of us that is in the oneness because it is our nature to be in the oneness. And there seems to be a constant battle within us between that part of us that feels other people's pain, that feels accountable. It's like what we're fighting for in the inner revolution, oneness, accountability, and mutual support. There's a part of us that really understands that we're all better off, like those, uh, billion, those millionaires, 200 millionaires who get it, that workers have to buy their products, you know, um, so that we all need to have a, a, you know, a better life in order for any of us to thrive. In fact, they, they had a quote on their website, because I was taking a look at it, um, Rich, I can't remember the quote. Anyway, it had to do <laughs> with uh, people get rich because other people have money. See? So anyway, I really like that. So this is what it is. So we all have different ways of making ourselves look worthy of being cared for by our world. It makes a lot of sense, Beth. I would think so. Well, and I think it's so important to our listeners to hear this because everybody has ego and everybody's ashamed of it, except Donald Trump, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really a compassionate way of looking at our most childish behavior and understanding it and therefore having an opportunity to maybe really change that. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Helen. Yes, and we do need to change that because it is our egoic relationship to the planet that has brought us to environmental catastrophe. You know, it's like we get to do everything for ourselves. Humans are allowed to grab every resource. 
Humans are allowed to pollute every stream and every lake and every ocean. Humans are allowed to overfish. Humans are allowed to get rid of every other species. See, because in our minds, we are entitled to God gave us the planet, but no. God did not give the planet to our egos. And that (laughs) is what has happened is we have um, our egos. We have an egoic relationship to one another where we uh, try to exploit one another. Uh, Even in our families, between us loved ones, we can compete. We can compete for mom or dad. We can compete with uh, my husband, my wife. Uh, We can compete with who's going to look smarter, be more powerful, uh, prevail. And we certainly have this egoic relationship uh, to, you know, our planet. So... I'd like to add something else, if I may, and that is uh, when you carry this out to an extreme, uh, and Donald Trump is a great example of this, it's completely self-centered such that it's actually self-destructive. For example, he's talking about, well, maybe we don't need NATO because we, we're giving them more uh, to help protect other people, and all we want to do really is just protect ourselves. And, and so that could mean that... Uh, uh, all the rest of the world goes to goes to hell in a handbasket. Uh, while we uh, have tariffs, we create walls, uh, and we wind up cutting our nose off to spite our face because then uh, we saw what happened in the Great Depression when people put up uh, tariffs too high and all that stuff, and everybody went down, down, down. And so uh, it seems to me there's an evolutionary trend toward connecting more in the we-ness and that it's mutually the win-win kind of thing. But what's happening right now is there's an appeal to the regressive uh, side of ourselves, which is saying, no, 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 let's retract all of that. Let's just go back to the way it was, like in the 40s or 50s, when, uh, you know, it was very regressive, even more regressive than now. I agree with you, James. I think that's a really important point. And here I'm going to make a brief uh, statement about the Democratic National Convention before we go on, because I see we... We do have a caller on hold. But uh, one of the things that I can say about the, that the Democrats do is you just look at the convention and, and it speaks for itself. There is so much diversity in that room. You know that this is because of years and years and years and years of participation, of belief, of a different perspective. Now, Democrats are also full of ego. There is the protect Hillary at any cost or protect Bernie. I mean, you know, Obama will lie. Hillary will lie. Tim K- it will, everybody lies. They're all telling some untruth or other in order to protect their position. But what I'm saying is, while that is the case, it's not built on ego. It's not, the perspective isn't egoic. So what we've got is that the Democrats are talking about love and they're talking about connection, they're talking about inclusion and they're talking about we and they're actually talking about um, everything that we talk about. Uh, For example, we have something called the um, Campaign to Unite All Movements and it's about how we all need to stand up for each other. When we started this campaign which wasn't that long ago, 
uh, it was like, okay, this one is uh, uh, protecting themselves. Muslims were talking for themselves. Blacks were talking to themselves. Gay were talking to themselves. Now, what you see is more and more people are speaking for each other because we're realizing that an attack on one is an attack on all. This is a more oneness perspective. That is a fact, Jack. And, uh, and again, you see the results. And when the Democrats were talking about the police and the blacks, uh, they, they talked about both. Both sides, right. Both sides. It, you know, the, the violence against the police, the black violence against the black community. They may not have gotten into the depth. I mean, they barely have talked about really income inequality. They're really not addressing in the rawest sense, what it is that's frightening people, as far as I'm concerned, they haven't really addressed it because then they would have to admit that their reign in office for the last eight years wasn't perfect. And yes, it was true. There was a lot of Republican obstructionism. That is obvious. But at the same time, it hasn't always been on the top of the list of the, uh, of the Democratic Party to actually change income inequality. So I would say that there is ego on many sides and on all sides, and we have to be aware of that, and it makes me uncomfortable. But the overall perspective message that the Democrats are putting out today is together we're stronger, which is exactly what we believe, which is a oneness message. Yes, and thanks to Bernie Sanders for bringing up the income inequality to the top of their platform list, because without him, that that might not even be mentioned. I so agree with you. So many things like universal health care that have been brought up by, by Bernie Sanders. So shall we take our call? Or we've, we may yes. have put her to sleep. <laughs> Hi there. No, I'm not asleep. (laughs) Thanks for taking my call. Um, Well, you pretty much already said it, but one thing that there's a couple of things. One that really stuck out to me is, because I can watch the whole Republican either, but, you know, what I just kept hearing was, I can do it, I can do it. But the Democratic Convention's motto was, we can do it. And to me, that's just, you know, a prime example of the ego and the oneness. Yes. I think Obama really spoke to that eloquently in his talk the other night. He didn't address, as far as I'm concerned, the many social ills that we see happening in our world, but he did say the we instead of the he, and we have to support that. I mean, I think it's egoic to say that because Hillary Clinton is imperfect, we shouldn't vote for her. See, well, why don't we wait for the perfect candidate to come along and we'll vote for them. In the meantime, we'll let Trump take over. To right. me, that's the ego of the infantile left, which, and I've been an infantile leftist myself. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, that, I really though. get that. You know, I really get that. And I'll tell you one other reason that I'm, I'm voting for Hillary and I'm saying this on the air and I've never said this before that I'm going to vote for Hillary because when they did her, you know, talking about her and her biography, I have seen the dark side of Hillary. I do think she's got a lot of self-protective, egoic issues going on. 
And God knows what happened to her. I remember admiring her when she was first lady and the guts that she had to go out and deal with health care. And she was lambasted. And I don't know what happened to her, but it is clear from what we saw, and I believe those people, that this is a woman who really from the beginning cared about people and has always cared about people and still does care about people. So with all her flaws, I, flaws, I will vote for someone who is, has empathy, who is in the oneness. And I think that our job is to support her And the way that we support her is to do what Bernie Sanders did, which is to bring enough people into the political process who can support her to do the things that she can't do if she has a gridlocked Congress. And to support her to feel like there is a place for her heart in the political system. I can't imagine what everybody goes through who puts themselves out to be in that system. And again, Obama spoke to that in his talk. You know, he said, yes, Hillary Clinton has some flaws or whatever the word that he used. But he said, you know, or made mistakes. But the only people who don't are the ones who sit on the side and don't do anything. Yes, I I so agree with you. I, I love what you said, both things, that it's the immature ego of the left that says, I'm not going to vote for Hillary because Bernie didn't win. That is so true. And I never thought of it that way. So thank you for that. And I also love the part about the heart, making a place for the heart of Hillary, because that's the thing that doesn't show up. No. But have you been watching the convention? I think you, yeah. So isn't it amazing those stories of people who talked about the personal connection that she made, it's like this is a different person. Yes. This, this is a person that I would trust. Yes. Uh, not the other one. but there, So, you know, we're talking about the two sides of everyone. And I haven't seen Donald Trump's other side. You know, he might have been a great father, a, a caring husband. I don't know. It's hard to believe. It's the way hard he talks to believe. about women. But, you I, know, I have a point on that one. Good. Go for <laughs> that, it. That was my other point that just, it, it just stuck with me for some reason that at, at the end of um, Trump's uh, speech, whatever, and his wife was up on stage and she came up to greet him and they kissed each other, you know, on one cheek and the other cheek, and she tried to kiss him on the lips and he held her back. Oh. And that, that just gave me a pain. Oh. Well, you know, let's pray for Donald Trump that whatever has eaten away his soul, that he finally comes to recognize that he's been scarred by something and that he isn't the perfect person. And this is our message to the ego, which keeps prancing around the stage, protecting itself, putting others down, trying to take control away from our souls and our spirits. We need more love. That is so true. Uh, I love that. The uh, Cory Booker and so many of the Democrats are talking about love. Love Trump's hate. Yes. I, I know how much we can say that that is all, you know, political corruption and just claptrap and all that. But I know by looking at those people, how many of those people really feel that and believe that. 
when you see the participation of black men, women, Hispanics, gays, I don't know how many Native Americans are there. Uh, I don't know how many Muslims are there. You see people, you know, you know what they have gone through and that they are there because they do care. And I remember the days when the Democratic Party was white. Remember the Mississippi Freedom Democrats, James? Yeah. I can't remember what convention that was. Um, But, you know, they were trying to break through because they had a, you know, white uh, delegation. Uh, It has taken blood, sweat, and tears to have a convention that looks like that. And the contrast between the, the Democratic convention and that picture that's going viral of Paul Ryan and the interns... Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, it was so hysterical. It it was a he it was a selfie that he took of himself with all of the hundreds of interns and you know saying that we've got all this backing from young people and every single one of them was white. It, it's it's sick. So it was uh, a it was a backlash, you know, it had it it went viral but it was a terrible backlash against the Republicans because of the fact that every single one of them was a white young person. And, and it so used then, to, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. And it used to be white men. Yes. Yeah. You know, when I was a little girl, I was nine years old, I said um, that I wanted to be the first Jewish woman president. Well, we had, if you meld Bernie and Hillary, which seems to be happening more and more, you have the first Jewish woman president. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's not me. And that's Okay. Uh, it's really more than okay. So <laughs> I'm glad somebody is doing it. And I'm proud of Bernie Sanders for overcoming his ego and saying the revolution isn't about an election and it's not about a candidate. And we need to continue to bring the consciousness of oneness, accountability, and mutual support every day, every single day. This is not something that we want some party to do or some candidate to personify. This is something we need to do, that we need to personify. We need to get over the fears that feed our egos. If there's any part of us that thinks that we are it, that's the ego. If there's any part of us that feels like the answer is force, that's the ego. If, the, if any part of us was looking desperately for that strong man, like the woman who bats her eyelashes at the guy and really wants him to be able to bring home the bacon, regardless of whether she thinks she's a, a socialist, a Democrat, a Republican, or a, a whatever, that woman is feeding the ego. We are all feeding that ego when we do not feel each other, care enough about one another to see what we collectively need rather than to focus only on our own needs. And if, if we feel like there's nothing that I can do, that's ego also. Oh, yes, that's all self-protection. And I see we have one more caller. Hi, it's Rose. Hello, Rose in San Diego. By the way, that was Lizzie in San Diego before. Yes, Rose. I just wanted to touch on something you said about Donald Trump's um, 
you know, that he doesn't really believe in all that he's saying. I felt that also. And I wanted to admit my own ego can look like I just have to win. And I think that's what he's up to, that he's just, I got to win. And that's got him by the tail. And it gets me by the tail. And this is the one way I can bridge, you know, not really hating him entirely and saying, you know, I'm like that. I can, do, I can be like that. You're so right. I, and I need the support that you were mentioning. You know, he needs support just like I do. Yeah, Rose, that's a, such a good point. And we have to support Donald Trump, but the way we support him is not by voting for him. I agree with that. We don't I want agree to with that. we don't want to empower his ego. We want to empower his soul. Yes. And there is nothing separating when you take a stand and say, I'm going to vote for Hillary over Donald Trump. Because we always have to be supporting the movement towards oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And we have to take a stand even to, with, with our own egos to say, I'm not feeding you anymore no matter what it takes no matter what it costs it's not worth it i Uh, don't want a prosperous world under donald trump not that it ever would be Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'd like to add to that and just say when we're in that voting booth as a voting person not to feed our own ego and say oh i'm just going to vote for the person that's in my own self-interest and hell with anybody else yeah. Oh, oh, cut my taxes. Uh, who, who to hell with anybody else? But rather, well, what's the highest good of all, such that uh, we can all benefit and we can all share in, like in a potluck dinner, uh, everybody shares in the way that they can, and uh, we all benefit. It's the highest good of all. Right on, right on. So I, I do believe it would be supportive to Donald's ego if he didn't win. Honestly that he would hear that there's more out there than what he's trumped up, as, a, as it were. <laughs> we certainly hope so, Rose. I mean, we, we wish ill on no one. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, Are uh, we ready for Yes, James, week? why don't we talk about next week, and then uh, we can get back together. And Okay. Next week's topic, Do well-meaning doctors damage us with unsafe medicines? J.D. Baer tells us that we urgently need to do our homework. Is he right? Few things can be more frightening than threats to our health, and so we desperately want to believe that someone has reliable answers. But suppose those on whom we rely are misinformed or misled. J.D. Baer has investigated some widely prescribed drugs, and he says he has unearthed damning information that demonstrates that they can be downright dangerous. He claims that scientific records can be corrupted and that our own doctors have been misled into thinking that all approved drugs are safe and effective when they are not. We know that big tobacco has lied, big energy companies have lied, and the lead and asbestos industries have lied. So could big pharmaceutical companies lie too? Nah. Oh, say it ain't so, Joe. <laughs> they're, they're above that. You know, I heard an article, I heard a show yesterday on NPR about that, which I will look up and send you because... They were saying things like statins, that there's a certain number that they have that it takes out of 100 people. How many take the statin drug before it works on one person? And it was like 49. Oh, my God. Oh, yes, yeah, statins. I think that's one of the drugs that J.D. is going to talk about. 
Okay. Yes, so. so so listen in and hear JD's research on some popular drugs and listen to his suggestions for determining for ourselves whether to take the medications our doctors prescribe. Like it or not, we need to support our doctors by questioning them, especially when it applies to our health and that of someone we love. So join us and offer a final word from Beth. Well, I th- I'm so glad that we talked about this today because the ego is also what we're talking about around the JD's show that we're going to be having next week because the, the pharmaceutical companies are protecting themselves, the employees, the CEOs, everybody's protecting themselves, and uh, the doctors need our support because they're not gods. And we all need to become mutually supportive if we're ever going to change this world. And for us who want to vote, for example, for the Democrats, let's not pretend that we are the angels and that the other guys are the devils. But let's get honest about what all the needs are, what's for the highest good of all, and let's get our egos out of it. Helen? Yes. You got, Thank you yes. so much for this fabulous show today, Beth. And I, I want all of our listeners to really take in what you said about the ego so that we can all benefit on a very deep level from this discussion, far beyond the discussion of the elections. Thank you, Helen. See you you next week. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.